and welcome to an all-new edition of Talking Football Extra, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. On this edition of our show, we'll be taking a deep dive into the world of pain, mind games and medicine balls. Yes, we are of course talking about Felix Maggot, a man once labelled as the last dictator of Europe by one of his players, who has returned to the Bundesliga. My name is Nick Viltagen and joining me today is long-time suffering Hertha fan and now fan of Felix Maggot. Matt Herman, how are you doing, Matt? I have been suffering, <laughs> but uh, at least in, on the short-term basis, I'm not. Uh, I, I was very pleased with how things started off the Felix Magat era. It's the start of quite an era, I'm sure. And if that wasn't enough, I'm also joined by German football expert and fantasy god, Flo Reinecke. How are you doing over there? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, Nick. We talked a bit off-air about Werder Bremen. Things are looking good there in the north of Germany, so that always affects my mood. I'm more than 40 years old, but that's still true. Um, I'm a bit pathetic, but... It always yeah. will be. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite 40 yet, but I'm getting there, and uh, <laughs> I'm doing so fast. Anyways, in part one of the show, we'll be talking a little bit about Herter and Felix Maggot's background, and in part two, we'll be diving into some of the greatest anecdotes and stories surrounding Quelix's long and illustrious career as a coach. So here we are in part one of our show about Felix Magath. And well, let's start off with Hertha and their current situation. The big city club has been in turmoil the entire season, really. Uh, nothing has worked. There's an investor. There's a lot of money. Freddy Borbic is regarded as one of the best, uh, you know, sporting directors in the league. And there have been some very big signings over the last few years. So, Matt, tell me, after having spent millions and millions and millions and millions of euros... How did Hertha end up being stuck with Davy Selke as a striker and Felix Magath as a coach? <laughs> uh, how far back would you like to go, Nick? Uh, take your pick. <laughs> you know, we have some time. It's, it's a lovely evening. Um, I'm enjoying my beer. Entertain me. All right, fair enough. Basically, Hertha have been treading water for a long time. I would say they've been, at least since probably a, a brief moment of real success in the late 90s, early 2000s, basically been a mid-table to lower-table club that has always wanted a lot more than that. And at a certain point in time, after having Pal Dardai as their coach for you know three and a half years or so, they sort of decided they got sick of treading water. They decided to get rid of him, and right after that is when they got a big investor, Las Vintoist. And basically, they had all these sort of vague dreams of playing attractive football and playing super successful football, but they had zero like sort of competence or a plan to execute execute those dreams. So, you know, if you go by, you know, Ralph Rangnick's maxim of having cola competence and uh, what's what's the third K that he, he brings in there? Chaos. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, basically, he's, he's saying you have to have a plan, you have to have competence, and you have to have money. And Hertha had the money, but they didn't have a plan or competence for for ages. Basically, the, the first couple of years under the Las Venturas era, they were just throwing money around at a bunch of dumb targets. You know, they brought in Jurgen Klinsmann as a coach. They brought in a bunch of players who were not really appropriate to the project or not didn't have the coach to sort of harness them. I mean, if you bring in Matthias Cunha and you have him coached by uh, Alexander Nuri, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> Basically... <laughs> They at least got it right, as you mentioned. Freddie Bobic, who 
clearly as someone who has a track record of success in the Bundesliga. That was the first really genuinely good move that they made in a really long time. Unfortunately, <laughs> he turned around and made some dumb moves, such as um, firing Pal Dardai uh, after, what, 13 matches to bring in the incredibly uninspiring coach, Typhoon Korkut. Um, we were all shocked to learn that that didn't really work out. So basically, Hertha have tried everything. They tried so many dumb paths, both in the transfer market, coaching choices, squad, construction, and they were left at a point where in order to sort of save the future of the club, save the future of this big project, long-term project it seems, of getting this club into something you know much bigger than it was, not treading water anymore – you got to stay in the league. That's the first thing you got to do. You know, in the past, they've they've had Friedhelm Funkel as their coach. He sent them down. They've had Bruno Labbadia as their coach. They're actually still paying him because he hasn't got uh, a job subsequently, but uh, he's not coming back. There was not a lot of alternatives for the club. They had their eyes on other coaches. They are not interested in coming in to, you know, take over a club at the tail end of a season that's been terrible. Felix Magat was really what they were left with. And I will admit, I was both shocked and sort of worried when I heard that Felix Magat was taking over. But uh, at least the first game under his charge, or, you know, in physical presence under Mark Fotheringham's charge, uh, <laughs> the results were good. So what do you think? I mean, you said the little options of, you know, the you know familiar names that are usually juggled around whenever a club finds its, its coach. So... But why do you think they actually went for Felix Maggot in the end? Because for those of you who haven't really heard an awful lot about Felix Maggot, the guy's 68 years old. He qualifies for senior bus pass. He gets heating allowance. That's how old he is. Why turn to a guy who basically hasn't really done any coaching work at, at a higher level in almost a decade Uh, well, I, I don't think they hired him for his age, um, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> I think that was sort of a side effect, that he's been in the game for a really long time. And, you know, we'll get to the sort of, I don't know, somewhat humorous stories of his training methods or rehab methods or all that later in the show. But to be fair, this is an extremely experienced, extremely decorated coach who has coached a lot of really good teams, who's won a lot of titles, who has kept a lot of teams from going down over his career. It's very easy to see that he's been out of the game for a long time, out of the Bundesliga for 10 years, out of top flight football for, you know, probably eight years, something like that. So he's not super well connected anymore, but he is someone who at least in the prime of his career was a proven winner. And Getting back to the idea that he's a bit of a tough guy, his sort of reputation as, as driving his players very hard. You know, Hertha haven't had a coach like that in a long time. And there's always been a notion that both this particular group of players and the club, in a broader sense, has been a little bit too accepting or too willing to settle for mediocrity or, or worse. And I think Freddie Bobic and co. wanted to bring in somebody who would both step on the gas pedal a little bit harder and who maybe could instill a bit of team discipline and team spirit among a group of players who have been severely lacking in, in those departments, certainly over the past few years. I mean, it's, it's an interesting point because remembering uh, the start of the COVID pandemic, I actually listened to an interview with Rune Almeninger-Stein, who is a goalkeeper still at Hertha, uh, 
who talked then about, you know, the start under Bruno Labbadia, which was great. And what he highlighted was that Bruno Labbadia actually emphasized the physical side, you know, training sessions after training session, running, running, running. And that worked for a short while for her. So, so why shouldn't it work this time again? It's basically the same bunch still there at, at the club. So you mentioned there that Felix Margaret once had a prime. So let's turn to that, uh, Florian. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add, I think the most important thought process behind hiring Felix Magath is that it totally takes the focus off of the squad. Like all the attention in Germany right now is on Felix Magath. And I mean, it was a telltale. Once they had the press release that Felix Magath would take over, the Hatter side crashed. It couldn't handle <laughs> the traffic because that was like all the, like, the whole day uh, after Korkut was sacked, or it, I think in the morning Korkut was sacked and in the evening they had the press release that Magat will take over. There were like fake Hatter club account, Twitter accounts who made some random guys as, uh, as a joke to take over as Hatter manager. I was like, I was working on that day and like all guys who work in sports journalists were thinking, is this a fake or not? It was really that that far-fetched. No one has thought about it. But all the attention on the coach. And as he had the presser on Monday, same thing. They wanted to make a live stream on the on the club page and it crashed because it was too much traffic to handle. And that's what they accomplished. And I think maybe that's even more important than like hard training. The aspect that, that Magat brings is that now like it's, it's him in the spotlight. And it seems like that was a well-played move by Freddy Bobic that all the attention wasn't on the players on the pitch. And, and, and it seemed to have helped in the first game. Although I might add like another tradition club who went down last year, Schalke, they had a similar-ish appointment in Christian Gross, who was out of the Bundesliga for quite some time. He did just manage to win one game, and that was a 4-0 against Hoffenheim. So, yeah. Flo, just, I'm, I'm going like, to take a little bit of issue. A curious, a, a curious side, so <laughs> let's not take too much into it after one game, but... I don't think Christian Gross has ever crashed a website in, in his life. So. No, no, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. I, I just want like, that was the first thing that came to mind was Christian Gross at Schalke and how I, like it mightily did go wrong with him not even knowing his own players and being on the presser and giving players surnames they, they didn't have and stuff <laughs> like mean, that. I mean, Alessandro Schöpf is probably still called Massimo by some Massimo, of his friends. Massimo Schöpf. <laughs> Alessandro Schöpf, that was Christian Gross. But uh, I watched the presser um, with Felix Magath, and it seems like he, he was on top of things. And I mean, Matt, I mean, he's, 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 he said he signed for Volkswagen when he talked about his time at Wolfsburg, though, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah he's just it's, being honest. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, 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 and he made fun about um, his call that, like, his German is not an issue, his English might be, because he's a Scot. <laughs> And if you saw uh, him giving interviews in all the English versions, he was uh, subtitled, 
with English, although he was speaking English with his Scottish accent. So uh, I think he handled it well and no comparison to Otto Rehagel. I think the last time they went down at the end, they, they had a, like a similar home run swing. They went for with an old guy with Otto Rehagel and it totally backfired. But like you, you were wait, like his press at the start, you, you could see that Rehagel doesn't have it anymore. It's just too old. And I didn't get that feeling with Magad. I mean, Felix Magad for the last few years has been sort of a deliverer of tabloid headlines, much in the mold of uh, maybe Max Merkel, kind of, or maybe a milder version of Max Merkel. Uh, but anyways, uh, some of our listeners might have gotten into the Bundesliga four or five years ago, and they really haven't followed the German press all that much and don't, might not even know all that much about Felix Magath. So let's give them a little bit of background about the man who had his last big job at Fulham eight years ago, which was really an ill-fated stint. So let's not talk about that right now, but let's give them some background of uh, what we know about Felix Magath, about him growing up and what sort of player he was during, you know, his career in the 70s and 80s. So what can you tell me there, Flo? Yeah, so he grew up with his father, I think he was a soldier of Puerto Rican descent, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly. And um, the father left the family, his mother had to work very hard, and he he had to spend a lot of time on his own. Yeah, he, he used to go to play football instead of going to the school. Later on in his life, he said like his life would have been totally different if his father would have been there. He, he wouldn't have developed this driven personality. I think that was a part of it. He, he would have just gone to school and, uh, yeah, he, he said abgedriftet, um, zum Fußball, which means in German, like he, he, he basically is, is what you would say that if you would start taking drugs. <laughs> uh, and he said that about, um, yeah, getting a career, uh, in football. So, um, that's his, his background. And I think that's part of why he doesn't accept that someone who's a professional athlete isn't like doing his best 24 seven, basically, or at least acknowledges. That's what he always says is that the basics for being successful at football is you have to be uh, physical, uh, able to, you have to be fit a hundred percent. And that's what he always as a coach did as a player. He actually ha had a really flair player. He won a lot of uh, championships uh, three times. He won the German championship with Hamburg. Yeah. Probably you think what that was a thing. Yeah. That was a thing. Uh, 79, 82, 83. Thing of the past. The good old days in the Bundesliga where we actually had. Uh, different uh, champions and uh yeah so uh, he did that he won the the um champions league or the the, the european cup european cup was it called you know in german in, in germany it's uh, europa pokal der landesmeister which is such yeah, like simple it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a mouthful you have to admit. yeah <laughs> okay they, they won that he, he scored the winner uh against juve um, so yeah, that's definitely a, a, a great player. Uh, he, he played for the national team. He uh, won the European Championship in 1980. So a lot of success as a player always you know, was sort of as kind of a thinker, as a, a deeper guy, not like 
not a Pierre Lebaski kind of player. If you if you remember who, who that is, he he was always more quiet, more um, serious about football being his job. Um, but it took him very very far. And I actually like I was born in '79. So I saw him being runner uh, up at the World Cup in 86. That was the first World Cup tournament I actually remember. And he was part of that squad and part of the HSV squad in the, in the early 80s that were, were really good. So, yeah, I, I liked him as a player. His successful stint was under Ernst Tappel. His nickname was Deschweiger. So he that he was famous for not talking with his players. And I think that's what, uh, if we later come to Magat as a coach, we'll see that um, that's typical of how Magat handles his players. And they also were known for really tough training methods. Happel and, and later on Branko Sebek. These are, I think, the the two coaches who had huge success in Germany and who influenced him uh, later on as a coach. So how have Ernst Happel and uh, his predecessor at Hamburg, Brenter Zebeck, inspired him? I mean, what, what has he taken from their coaching methods? Yeah, like I said, the physical part of the game, but also the man management, which is based on fear. If we see what... Maga did. I'm not sure if he did that at Berlin already, Matt, that maybe you can tell, but usually he like he comes to a club and looks at one of the most important or biggest or oldest players or whatever and basically bites his head off. Um that's how he started out at a lot of clubs pretending like he doesn't know a player. So uh Asking him, uh, oh, uh, what are you doing here? Are, are you uh, uh, <laughs> the janitor or, or what's your job here? That's <laughs> like these kind of stories. Basically, in wh wherever he, he went, there are these stories. It's the story with Bastian Schweinsteiger after him coming back from a European championship on his first training session. Magat asked him, who are you? Don't know who you are. And he did that twice to Schweinsteiger. <laughs> and later on admitted, of course, he knew who Schweinsteiger was. He he was playing the European Championship in 2004. I mean, only three games for Germany at that, but uh, still. Famously, at Frankfurt, he like they were uh, before an away game at Unterhaching. They wanted to go by bus, and the whole team was in the bus, and then he came to one of the most routine players of Frankfurt and said, no, you're not coming. You're not in a match squad. Get off the bus. The bus. And then before all other eyes, this guy, uh, Olaf Janssen, that is, who is like knows German football a bit, had to leave the bus. And legend is that that's is where his nickname Quelix, which comes from Qual. I'm not sure. How how would you translate that, Bats? Uh, yeah, to, to torment. So, yeah, to make someone suffer. And in, in German, it like Felix and Felix. So that's also a pun in a way that um, probably doesn't translate that well. But that's, that's where uh, this starts. And I, I think until today, that's his method. And that's probably the reason why 
He had one longer successful stint at Stuttgart. But apart from that, he's definitely a short-term coach because, like, I personally don't believe that you have uh, can have long-term success with just putting out, dishing out fear and and making, yeah, making your players fear you and not res- respect you for being a good, smart tactician or knowing st- uh, a lot of stuff about football. That was never like his strong suit. He he was always the, the tough guy. So what does his training regime uh, look like, Matt? Oh, it's basically old school physical fitness. You know, not only is it uh, just, you know, it puts great, great demands on players in terms of endurance, which, you know, I'm not sure if really now, <laughs> the last two months of the season or whatever, uh, is the time for that at a place like Herta, but I'm sure he'll he'll bring in certain aspects of that. You know, he's famous for medicine balls, you know, weighted balls that players have to carry or throw. Uh, he's famous for things, you know, his famous like running hills. He'll either, if he has a job where he can construct a hill on the training ground, he'll get players to run up a hill or he'll set up one of those things. It's like a set of stairs that people have to go up and down because, you know, just running in one place. If it's flat, it's, it's not challenging enough, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I think anybody who's, who's has run knows that's the truth. Uh, although, although I think I think these mounts are used in athletic as well, so it's not just an invention of Felix Magath, but still, yeah. No, they they, they actually make, make they make a lot of sense. I mean, people have run stairs, for example, at stadiums since I don't know how long in all, all kinds of sports. It, it actually it does something for you, but you know, it's not to everyone's taste. <laughs> There's been a lot of players. I mean, I think already uh, Frederick Andre Bjorkan, uh, your your countryman, uh, Nick, um, <laughs> had to drop out of training this past week. I mean, he was he was so safe and soundly protected in that Budaglim bubble that was just rolling from success to success. And then he came to German football and was first presented at, yeah, you're joining us in the winter and you're going to be coached by Paul Dada. No, you get a guy called Typhon Korkut. He's really the gray mouse of the Bundesliga, and he's not really successful anywhere he goes, but, you know. And then he gets Felix Magath. <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, he... he, he sh- I'm, I'm sad to that. I mean, my God. Uh, the, the the list of coaches he's had for the last few years, yeah. he must be thinking about retiring right now, and he, he's not that old. Yeah. So it's sad. I, yeah. Yeah. He, at the, he's one of those miracles uh, or, or questions I, I think that Magath has to... To answer, because he, he he has played basically every position f- for Hatta this season except the one where he actually is pretty good. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, and that uh, was that's it's, it's so so baffling how you have a good box to box midfielder and you you play him on the wing all the time, or even Koku played him as a striker once, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Matt. So yeah, Koku yeah. didn't know what to do with him, and that was really emblematic of of the problem in the last several weeks where he's probably one of the best, if not the best all around player they have. And by the end, Corkett was hardly playing him because he didn't know what to do with him, which is a real statement of, of bankruptcy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. Well, um, now that we've talked a little bit about how Felix is kind of a, a, you know, the man for the short term and not the long term, you know, 
let's look a little bit at the results he's been getting over the years. I mean, he got into being a football official in, in the 80s before he turned his first turn to coaching in, in the Bundesliga in the mid-90s. So, Flo, what, what sort of results has he gotten over the years? I think, like, his start of the career, he started at Hamburg. He used to be an assistant coach there, and then he went on getting the main stand. And it was kind of similar to Paul Dada at Berlin because he wasn't doing too bad. It was just that Hamburg, you know how they are, Nick. They they want to be on top of the world and they weren't satisfied with being just good. And that's why he had to go. And then the, the journey went on from stint to stint and Like you said, he got Nuremberg, Bremen, Frankfurt after that. All were in trouble when he took over. Bremen still were in trouble when he when he left the same season. When he left, yeah, that's true of, of Bremen. And that's also true, I think, of Frankfurt. I'm not actually sure. Like, he was he fired mid-season, so I guess they weren't doing too well. But He kept them in the... Bundesliga yes. uh, when he took over and then yeah. he got them to I think they were the third best team of the Rückrunde for that 99-2000 yes. season. Yeah, and they had to be because as he took over there were eight points behind the last non-relegation spot and they made it pretty easy at the end uh, to not being relegated. So that was actually good. At Bremen it was really, really bad. Um, um, they were in trouble when he came then he had like The first maybe 10 games, it was all right. They did all right. So they, they climbed to mid-table. And in the end, they went, they went downstairs again. Was in big trouble when, when he got sacked. And I mean, well, what a, what a uh, strike of fortune there because Thomas Schaaf took over. Probably the second best era of, of Bremen started after Magath left. So, yeah. And then, uh, I said before, his best stint at, at Stuttgart. Almost 150 Bundesliga games with Stuttgart. He had the, the young, wild players. They were called in Germany. So he had a really talented bunch there. He had older players like Balakov, but he had younger players like uh, Chlep, like uh, Kurani, like Lahm later on, like Hinkel. And they were actually very good. They were playing Champions League with him. They, they, they beat. Manchester United at home. So, um, and then that was when, when Bayern said, okay, that's, that's our new coach. And in 2004, he, he went to Bayern. He was successful in the league, but he couldn't win in the Champions League. Like, I think they were knocked out pretty early, uh, under his regime. And although he got the double two times in a row, first coach to achieve that in German football. He was sacked later on because with Bayern, just winning the national title is just not enough. And on the international scale, he failed. Then it's Wolfsburg, where he won and actually won the, the title in 2009. But what we have to remember, it was a different animal winning the title in 2009 and winning the title now. I mean, Wolfsburg got from ninth to winning. Yes. Uh, I think they But, were ninth mid-season and eight or ten points behind Bayern at that point. And they uh, they had a brilliant rückrunde And actually, they had that famous match against Bayern where they won 5-1. It's true. Uh, which, All that you say is true. But 
They had 69 points at the end of the season and were the champions. Yeah. That's not happening. In the, I think in the last 10 years, the least amount of points that Bayern got is 78. Mm. So that tells you how like the forces in the Bundesliga have shifted. It was possible back then as a non-Bayern team to win the title because you could win it with... Sometimes it was 65 points. You, you got champion. It's not happening anymore. And um, so I'm not taking that away from, from Magat. I, I just wanted to make clear, he wasn't having a Bayern kind of season. He wasn't even having a Dortmund kind of season. Dortmund, like in the last years, most of the time they did outscore the 69 points of Wolfsburg in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. So um, uh, definitely under Tuchel, fairly easy. But back then was still a different different time. Bayern had Klinsmann, which is like a big obstacle to overcome. And, Hertha uh, should know. Yeah, that, well, Hertha yeah, was another team yeah, who, who yeah. dropped the ball in that season. In 2009, I think they were they were first in uh, February or March and then totally fell off, opening the door for the likes of, of Wolfsburg. You're, you're absolutely correct. Just randomly, I clicked on 23rd match day on that season, but Wolfsburg got champion. First place is Hertha with 46 points. And second place is Bayern with 42. So they had a four-point lead at least. At, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, man. 24th match day, still four points ahead. And then they lost. 25th match day is where it all yeah, didn't work out in the end. They lost at Stuttgart. There you go. The match I remember the best, the, the most from that season is actually that Wolfsburg Bayern match where, where Felix Magath, as I said, they won 5 1, and, and Felix Magath, he displayed his rather. Yeah. <laughs> he has a very odd sense of humor, which is, you know, um, it's, it's kind of funny, and at the same time, it's a little bit mean spirited towards his opponents as well from time to time because yeah. I think it was in the 87th minute of that match when Wolfsburg were leading 5-1 that he decided to take off his goalkeeper to bring on yes. his number yeah. two goalkeeper and when he was asked about that move he said yeah you know what he, need, he needed some match practice yeah <laughs> yeah, I know that. But, I mean, you would say it was a revenge match because uh, Wolfsburg was the first club where he uh, hired after being sacked at, at Munich. Mm. So definitely some bad blood there. And the su surprising thing, actually, after winning the title, he left Wolfsburg. Probably a smart move because what you're going to achieve like you, you, you have achieved um, and uh, everything you you can with a club like Wolfsburg. Went on to work for Schalke, and there he started out. He did that at Wolfsburg as well, but um, I, I didn't mention that. I should mention that he was more of the uh, English version of a manager. So he was a coach, and also he was a sporting director. I mean, as, as the story goes, when for his time in Wolfsburg, what happened was that the, he was contacted and was offered the sporting director job, and the board at Wolfsburg asked him... This is a good one. Well, this is a good if one. you had to suggest one coach, who, who would you pick? And uh, Maggot, being, you know, himself, answered, me. Yeah. That's his and, and, and famous stories like he he had players coming into his office and just shouting at them for for ten minutes as a coach 
Then he changed his chair and said to the player, now you can complain to it um, by the manager. So, <laughs> <laughs> so really showing the players, uh, you, you don't have a person to address if you want to complain about me because the person you, you, you would have to address it's also me so uh yeah he like that's that's kind of his role play uh he did there and i mean he's famous for just getting players into his office and then not talking to them for 15 minutes and then saying dismissed and that's that <laughs> uh like i said before i'm not i'm not a big friend of of his methods at Schalke, he actually was successful as well. They had a boatload of money, and uh, he sold and 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 bought players left, right, and center. Players who like sounds ridiculous now, but at least like they they had success. They they went to the quarterfinal of the Champions League, which is a big success for Schalke. Uh, they won the cup in 2011 uh, with him. That's a big success. But similar to Hamburg. Not enough. They brought in Maga to get this dream, to get the Meister Schale to Schalke. And that, like he couldn't do that. He returned at one point to Wolfsburg, saved them from relegation, but didn't work out. And next season, uh, he was sacked as well. Then the story in the Bundesliga is over. That was in October 2012. So 10 years ago, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I think he's like someone had the stat that is 3,700 something days between his last Bundesliga win and the match against, um, Hoffenheim. So, uh, but that's only, I think, the third longest uh, between two wins of a coach in the Bundesliga. So it's not even a record, but it's like, it's, it's a long stretch. And then it's Fulham and, uh, yeah, then China, then, then Austria. I, I definitely can pick up later on if we talk about his time at Würzburger Kickers. They used to play in the second division in, in Germany, but it's also it's a club where like, it's an artificial club with, with money and they, got Magad Hin in one and a half years as a sporting director, four coaches, and legend, legendary is that like he was complaining before the weekend that like because of the press and the media, his coach Marco Antwerpen isn't being able to work in peace. And, and that's, that's the issue. Then Antwerpen lost the game and got sacked by Magat. And like they addressed it in the press. I said to Magat, oh, you said that like the problem is that he can't work in peace. Why, why did you sack him? And then he said, well, well, he can work on in peace, just not with us. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the way uh, he is. And then it's Hatta, out of the blue, back. Uh, as a coach again. So that's like time elapsed version of Magat's career. I don't think it's the greatest one. Although he got like crowned champion with Wolfsburg, I'm not really counting being crowned champion with Bayern, to be honest. Maybe that's a mistake, but 
No. Um, I mean, he's, I think, one of eight guys who's managed to, to win the Bundesliga both as a coach and a player. Yeah, I, I know, so but... That is, that is an elite club. I, I think you, you, you have to be a really bad coach to not win the title with Bayern. Fair enough. And he, he, even back then, I mean, like, there's some, like, it was tougher, but still, we know that 2004... Bremen got crowned champion, and usually, if another team than Bayern won the title back then, like Bayern is all out attack in the summer, uh, getting si uh, the 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 players they want and uh, making sure that next year it's them again, and that happened. That happened with with Magad. I'm not. I, I, I was never a big fan of him as a coach even as he won the title with Wolfsburg. Well, uh, Matt, uh, why do you think Flo has been a big fan? Is it, might it be about the way he sets up his team tactically as well? Uh, sure, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, Flo, you've never struck me particularly as a, you know, a, a doctrinaire tactics nerd. I mean, I think you, you view the game a bit more broadly than that. No, I'm, I'm not. But... I'm yeah, I'm le I'm leaving that to 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 Abel or uh, Jasmine, so it's not like like it's it's not my forte. Yeah, well, and, and then what's what's uh, what's not to like about a guy like Felix Magat who's never really had a tactical sort of uh, character? He's never really had. I mean, he sets up his teams to win because of physicality, because of you know, sort of energy, togetherness, all these stuff that seems like really soft skills that um you know in the wrong hands can be just a bunch of bs but that is something that he has had success for he's he you know has talked about this at some length talking about some of the coaches who are sort of celebrated these days most notably Julian Nagelsmann i mean we addressed the differences between these two guys a little bit on the last episode of of the podcast there's not maybe as much difference as you might like to think because Nagelsmann is also all about the human touch but you know Magat is definitely not somebody who is going to be doing hours and hours of video analysis he says I don't believe in what you do today to judge and build the game tactically alone is is wrong it, it, it manifests the mediocrity of the game and makes it uninteresting tactics are just a part of the game and it's not the decisive part whether I play offensively or defensively it's part of a strategy that's why I don't put my players into a tactical concept. Sometimes we win without tactics. I think he's probably overstating the case there because obviously a man who has spent his entire life in football and, and played centrally as a player and coached for, for many, many years, I'm sure he has many, many things to sort of say to players about where they need to be when and how they can, you know, show for the ball or, or cut off passing lanes, simple stuff. But like, I think he's right in saying that not every manager has to sort of go down this sort of, uh, you know, tactical concept route. Sometimes, sometimes instilling great fear in, in your squad gets results for a short time. Yeah, short, short term, uh, I agree. Long term, I'm, I'm not sure. And I, I mean, it's not just the tactical part. Usually, I mean, nowadays, in modern football, all players have load management. They got like all have this. They they have these watches, these health apps, and they say, okay, now this this player he has to do a bit less today because we saw like he he didn't slap well. 
So the clubs are, are, are tracking sleep and, and stuff like that. Magad is famous. Everyone does the same. It's not with load management. It's all players. Like, like his, his physical training, he puts all players through hell, and then he looks who who's standing at the end of it. It's no load management. He um, praises himself for never having issues with injuries. I'm not sure if that's true. I mean, it, it wouldn't be the first coach to flat out lie about his own record. You probably have to double check that, but um, he, I, I wouldn't go so far to say he despises the, the modern analytic way of doing that, but he, he's certainly not knowing and not known for, for doing stuff like that. And having a Hatta player collapse, I think in, at the first training ses- session he had i mean it, it it shows and maybe that was a bit of on purpose just like putting the screws on and seeing like who's the first to to give up turns out it's the norwegian guy anyways and <laughs> yeah, sorry nick <laughs> <laughs> anyways um let's talk about a little bit about how felix operates by telling some of the funniest or well scariest anecdotes from his time as a coach in part two of the show. Here we go. I think it was Artur Todd who, back in during Felix Maggot's Fulham days, said that Felix Maggot he's funny until he happens to your club. Anyways, Flo, he has happened to our club. Yeah. He's happened to Werder Bremen. So, any anecdotes from his time at Werder Bremen that have sort of made a mark on your memory? Yeah, definitely. So th- there aren't that many because his stint at Bremen was really short. Um, I-, I mentioned that before. I think twenty six games. That was it. But like he almost made Andreas Herzog not loving football, which is like tough. A great Austrian playmaker we had at Bremen uh, in the nineties, and especially Bremen had a striker. You probably heard that name. It's Ailton. And when Maga came, like he had no use for, yeah, the like he he, he was called the Kugelblitz. What what's the English? Um, the thunderbolt. Yes, yes, yeah, your bolt of lightning. The, the bolt of lightning. Um, that was because of his like pear-shaped body. Uh, basically, uh, he had. Um, he didn't feature under Magat at all. Another player who had really big tr- troubles with um, Magat was Thorsten Frings, uh, who like ended up being quite a decent player, I would say. But he had his issues with Magat. He also said later on that like it wasn't fun with Magat and Ailton. He like he he likes living the life. We know that about him. And Magat was really uh, watching what the players were eating and drinking. So Ayrton, he made himself friends with the janitor and he had like a, a small room where he stored sweets and chocolates and uh, and cola and stuff like that. And uh, uh, Herzog later on t- uh, tells the story that at one point he, he was saying, Andreas, Andreas, come on, come here. 
come into the room and they were having like cola and chocolate and laughing about Felix Maga at that time. And in winter training camp, Maga was famous for running through the woods and Hatzog, he didn't want like, he didn't want to run the whole circle and said, okay, I'm just going through the wood, not the whole circle. And I'm, he, they, they won't see that I'm not there. And then I'm uh, like, when they, at the end, I'm trying to be in the pack of things without anyone noticing that I'm not, I'm not there. But in the end, he happens to not find his way back out of the wood. And the whole squad were long in the hotel and, and, and Hasek was still in the wood. Met up actually with another guy that uh, Maga didn't like. Um, I'm not sure if you, you know Lodewijk Rombiak is in, from the Netherlands. He actually, I, I liked him playing, but Maga was there uh, three months or so and he was loaned out after that. But Hasek and Rombiak made it through the woods, uh, met a German couple uh, who were um, able to point them the direction to the team hotel and, and got like to the team hotel hours later. I mean, the, the, the many stories about Felix Maggots and Woods. I mean, one that just came to my mind is, is the when he was, I think it was sporting director at KFC Erdingen, or was it still called Bayer Leverkusen? It was, at, you know, before he started even coaching. And um, what he had just recently stopped playing and um, he was still in great shape. And so he went, he always came a couple of hours early to before the training session started and he went on a run and one morning he actually went on a, one of those forest runs outside you know went out to the stadium and that uh, you know he wanted really to go for a long long run but he got lost in the woods so he was so, sort of aimlessly running around the woods and uh, the way he found back to the stadium was uh, actually the day earlier he had placed out medicine balls for the players to work with in the woods. So when he saw that trail of medicine balls, he knew where he was and got back to the stadium. So um, Yeah, like Hansel and Gretel. It's basically the same story. <laughs> yeah, only with yeah. medicine balls. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, Matt, I've, I've mentioned that Felix Magus is kind of famous for his mind games. So um, any examples of that that you can think of? Well, we've kind of already touched on it. He gives players the silent treatment. He does his whole, um, I'm the coach and the manager. There's no one to complain to. But he's famously done it to some, some big-time players. I mean, Lucas Podolski, uh, quite notably, said that he sat in Felix Maggot's office, you know, for many, many minutes on end having him look at him and, you know, do nothing but sip tea and not say anything and then say, all right, that's it. You know, Jan Agafiotoft, who is, you know, a big media figure these days and, and worked with Magat uh, at, at Frankfurt, talks about meeting him for the first time, seeing him operate in his almost sort of preternatural calm that he likes to project when he's not shouting and screaming, squeezing out a tea bag and, and letting, letting, I guess, or forcing the squad to watch him <laughs> eat a piece of cake. <laughs> While they waited for him to say something, you know, it's, this is just like the kind of it's. This is very old school, like alpha male power mind game stuff. That like I don't know if it's really <laughs> if it really ever worked that great. I certainly don't know if it works great these days, but it is Magat style. Yeah, and I, I mean, famously, the season before he uh, was crowned champion was Wolfsburg. 
he said to the team, all right, no, no practice today. We, we have a hike and then we, we're going to eat some cake and stuff. And like they were actually hiking to a mountain where they, there's the, the longest stairway in the world, 11,674 steps onto the mountain. He, he didn't tell that, uh, to the, told that the team beforehand. And then they had to, to climb that after being said, no, no practice today, just a small hike. And uh, actually, 200 meters before they were at the end of this endless stairway, you you could say it's a stairway to heaven. I think it's not like uh, an overstatement. But uh, uh, Grafic, who later on was a really um, critical part of that champion squad of Wolfsburg, he said, machine is not working. And then he just collapsed. And <laughs> <laughs> they had their medical staff had to attend to him um, and they had to get him away on a stretcher. And the, the others who arrived at the restaurant, so they were like, basically, they were like hungry wolves. So maybe that was the metaphor that um, Magab was going at because they, they were storming into the restaurant like everyone needed some some sugar and they were basically throwing the cakes out of these windows where you, you know you, you you have these windows in these self-serving restaurants and they were putting out the cakes and eating them without even paying because it was so yeah uh really taken by this long long stairway and isn't there also a gondola going up to that cafe Yes, yeah, most of the place were like, definitely. "Oh, we're taking the gondola." No, no you're not. Yes, yeah, <laughs> but, but probably they took them down. Uh, I'm not sure if that's <laughs> they had to. But I mean, these stories are always told, and how how great it worked. If if in the end it works, mm. I don't think that Wolfsburg won the title because they had this experience. I'm I'm, I'm just not that wired. I don't think. That had much to do with it, but I mean, the the biggest reason for for them winning the title was probably that Grafic and Jacob were the best striking partnership in the Bundesliga, and Mizimovic, uh, I, I think, over twenty assists in that season. Yes, um, of course, yeah, the quality on the pitch that was a, a magisches Dreieck, as as the Germans would call. I was it. about to say, you could call it a magic yeah. triangle. Yes, you do. Well, uh, we've talked about what he's done in Germany, but Matt, let's let's talk about what he's done in 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 England. I mean, there there've been some stories there as well from his rather short and ill-fated stint at Fulham. Would you like to share any of those? Well, you know, like Flo just said, anytime you do weird stuff and you don't win, it tends to sort of harm your reputation rather than add to it. And that was more or less the case at Fulham. Fulham, you know, it's a tricky club to manage because it's really so small compared to a lot of, uh, you know, Premier League sides, but it managed to hang around for a long time. So there's a lot of expectations there. Not a success. Uh, famously, Breda Hongelon spilled the beans to, uh, you know, the English press about a supposed uh, remedy for an injury in which cream cheese soaked in liquor should be applied to his thigh. He was recommended also to be to call his mother. You know, if if you put it that way, it maybe sounds pretty dumb. I mean, you know, a quark, and this was – it's a German dairy product. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, cottage cheese or sour cream yogurt. It's got 
it's a thing that Germans like and not many other people do, but it's really good. And there's a, a sort of a folk remedy that's been around for ages. I mean, if you just Google Quark Compress, you'll find tons of results. It's been something that people have done for a long, long time just for like anti-inflammatory reasons. And, you know, you can feel good or you can feel bad about homeopathy, but like this is an, a sort of accepted thing in that world. What was a little bit more sort of of a dick move, let's just say, um, <laughs> was his, was his uh, reaction to a, a bad loss that Fulham took uh, while he was, you know, he was coaching them. And ordered his players to get into their lineup formation from the last match, basically, you know, get ready for, for kickoff, and then told them, since you guys don't like to run, you're going to stand in place. And it, you know, happened to be a pretty bad day out. It was cold. It was windy. It was not the kind of day where you want to stand outside in shorts and a T-shirt. And it was just kind of a... a, a a nasty punishment that I think a lot of those players do not remember fondly. Well, I mean, his assistant coach, uh, Mark Fotheringham, he uh, he was there during his Fulham day, wasn't he? Yeah. So some some people might like that sort of treatment. I mean, I mean, we, you know, I mean, the time is running out, and we, I mean, we could have run through endless amounts of quotes about Felix Magath and what his players have said. I think the former Frankfurt player Bratri Salu. Um, was rather upset by him because he he couldn't pronounce his name much like I can't and uh, said uh, Felix Mike decided to call him Horst because that was an easier name to pronounce and um, Salu actually once said in an interview rather famously that he is the last dictator of Europe. Uh, Jefferson Farfan also had a few choice words about Maggot saying that uh, you know at Chalk there were always great coaches and all of them brought something positive to the side. The only exception to that rule was Felix Maggot. Anyways, uh, this has been an awful lot of fun, guys. Um, where can people find your work on Twitter, Matt? Start with you. Oh, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Although I, I don't do a lot of work there. I just waste time. Oh well. Flo, are you doing any work whatsoever? <laughs> yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing work, but I'm, not, I'm really like, I tweet a bit, but not too much. And you find me, it's ausgefuchst, and the A is is a Twitter handle. So it's 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 a German thing. I'm I'm not sure how to explain it, but um, I, I think you check me, uh, and then it's, it's probably fine. It's U S G. E F uh, I'm, uh, F U C H S S T. There you go. Yeah, I'm really bad. I'm really, I'm, I'm so bad in English spelling. I'm, I'm sorry for that. All right. And, and, and it took me out of left field. But uh, what I want to know, Matt, what's your prediction? Is is how to like will will have to stay up with Maga? Yeah. yeah All right. Famous last words. Uh, anyways, you can find me at Norm Musings. You can find the podcast uh, at Talking Foosball. Make sure to check out our Patreon page where we are currently posting a series called Scandal about the biggest scandals in the Bundesliga. And well, up next, I think, is an episode about Clemens Turnius, his time at Schalke, and the Gazprom sponsorship uh, coming to an end at Schalke. So that's up next on this channel. That is going to be me interviewing Ron Ulrich. Until then, it is goodbye for now. Goodbye.